Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome back to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and our guest today is the author of Black Card, Chris L. Terry. Chris tells us about his lightly satirical novel, his experiences as a mixed kid, and why he doesn't have a go-to book recommendation. Before we dive in, I want to remind you, in the show notes, there's a link. That link will take you to all the books discussed on today's episode, as well as the social media accounts for the stacks and our guest. Plus, if you shop through the links on Amazon, you're helping to keep the stacks free. If you're in need of a book recommendation, send us an email at askingthestacks at gmail.com. Myself and my guest will read it on air and give you a personalized book recommendation. So, Email askingthestacks at gmail.com with your name, what you're looking for, and maybe a few titles you've loved or hated. If you like the stacks and want to support the work we're doing here, here are a few easy ways you can help. Join us on Patreon. You earn perks like our virtual book club, and you get to connect with other listeners of this podcast. Plus, you get to rest easy knowing your contribution helps make this show possible. So head over to patreon.com slash the stacks and be a part of this fantastic community. The last thing you can do is the easiest. Subscribe to The Stacks. Leave us a rating and a review. Plus, you can tell folks about this show. Tell your mom, your book club, your local bookseller, the cute girl sitting next to you at the coffee shop. Please do not be creepy. Tell them all about The Stacks. If you like the show, scream it from the rooftops or at least from your Twitter page. Okay, you've been more than patient. Now let's talk with Chris L. Terry. Okay, you guys, I'm so excited. I'm sitting here today with author Chris L. Terry. His newest book is called Black Card. Chris, welcome to The Stacks. Thank you for having me on. I'm so excited you're here. We're going to talk about your book today, but first let's kind of just start with like a little bit about yourself, maybe a little background, where you're from, how you got to writing, a little that spiel. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, I was born in the Boston area and I moved to Richmond, Virginia when I was 15. Um, my mom's a children's librarian and I always like to read some of my favorite stuff to do in school. Like the first time I cared about my homework was a creative writing assignment. Um, and that carried forward. I have a couple an English degree, a creative writing degree, and I got seriously into writing uh, in my early thirties. Amazing. And did you, so you didn't have the impulse to rebel against reading because your mom was a librarian? Um, no, which is 
it's ironic because this is maybe the one time I didn't rebel. It's like, yeah, okay. I, I like books. You're like, I'm into this. Were you reading stuff that she wanted you to read or were you reading stuff that you found on your own? So that, that's where it got a little rebellious. I have so many memories of going to the library as a kid. I can still picture this like blue rainbow tote bag that she had that we would just fill up with books <laughs> every three weeks. Um, but I think by the time I was a teenager, I wanted to choose what I was reading a bit more. And I was reading like a lot of music magazines and punk rock self-published zines and things like that. Okay. And she'd be like, why don't you read a real book? And I'm like, fuck you. So she was not like, as long as they're reading, they're reading. Because that's like the new school parenting, right? Yeah. It's like whatever they want. I'm sure I'm sure she was glad I was reading. But okay. I think she, she had a point that I could have been reading something besides record reviews. Okay. You know? And yeah. what did what was she into? What kind of reading was she into? You know, she's pretty widely read honestly right. um that makes sense yeah <laughs> librarian <laughs> yeah but she's a, a children's librarian who specializes in pre-literacy stuff okay. so she's got a just a like books for young readers and children's books or she has a whole catalog of them what is brain. pre-literacy that's like stuff that you would read to a kid before the kid was learning how to read oh like something that the parent would read to the kid yeah okay got yeah. it i'm like what's a pre-literacy book if you're not <laughs> literate how are you reading but obviously I'm not a children's librarian. Um, okay. So your book, Black Card. Well, wait, hold on. I know sure. what I want to say first. In addition to all those things, you also were a musician, are a musician. Yeah. Punk band. Yeah. Traveled. Well, that comes into the into your book. So I want you to tell us a little bit about that oh, part sure, of you. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. From like late high school till my early mid-20s, I spent all of my free time singing in different punk rock bands in Richmond, Virginia. Okay. And I, I should say shouting, not singing. Okay. Uh, I, can't, <laughs> I can't carry a tune in a bucket. Um, <laughs> really? Yeah, it's ironic. I feel like I have kind of like a... I have kind of a smooth voice, right? but I can't sing. <laughs> but you were a singer. Or a shouter. You know, it was pretty abrasive music. I guess I don't know what punk rock is. Um, I'm... Like, what's, like, the most famous punk rock? The mo- uh, I'd like the Ramones or the Clash okay. or Fugazi, who are all probably, like, catchier and more melodic than the stuff okay. we were making. Okay. Um, yeah, it was, like, like a, lot, a lot of screaming, electric guitars, okay. hard drums. Um, and I got to, I went, the band that I was in that did the most was called Light the Fuse and Run, like what okay. it says on Firecrackers. Right, okay. Um, <laughs> And we we went around the U.S. a couple of times. I think I've played in 44 of the 48 contiguous states. Wow. Um, we went through all the southern Canada and did like eight or nine countries in Europe. All and by when the time was this? I was, this was by the time I was 24. So it would have been like the early 2000s. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, I just bring that up because it comes up in your book a lot. Um, sure. Your book is called Black Card. Why don't you should tell us what it's about? Because if I do it, I'll do a less good job. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's always cool to hear what other people I could take try away from it. it. But, uh, uh, you go first. So I'm gonna try. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So Black Card is a book by Chris L. Terry. It is a satire, kind of funny. Not, I don't know. I don't know if I would go full satire, but it's like a funny examination of our protagonist who is mixed, light skinned black dude, doesn't really feel black all the time, has a friend who gives him his black card, and then I don't know if that's a spoiler. And then it's revoked. Mm-hmm. basically. And the book follows our guy as he's trying to figure out what it means to be black so that he can get back his black card. Yeah. Yeah. He he, he goes on a mission to win back his black card. He has like an actual card. Yeah. It's a physical card. Yeah. Which and is funny. Thank you. That part was really good. It like says like what you get to be, what you get to do when you're black. <laughs> I mean, I loved it's like, okay, sandals and socks. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That I think works better in the South. 
Yeah, so, maybe. Yeah, I'm a Californian black person. I don't so feel like sandals and socks. Well, it was sandals and like flip flops. Yeah, yeah. Because I feel like sandals and Birkenstocks very in right now. Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I was like, that's not too weird. But sandals and flip-flops, I was not comfortable with that. No? (laughs) Snoop Dogg used to do that back when. Okay. He's a Californian. He's very, very L.A. Yeah. How did I do? Is that that how you would describe the book? Yeah, that's real good. Yeah, he goes on. So the narrator goes on a mission to win back his black card. Um, And in the process, he's accused of a violent crime, which gives him kind of a more nuanced idea of blackness and of the way that the world sees him and the way that he's been interacting with the world. Right. Um, it also makes him think a little bit harder about Lucius, his, uh, his friend who's giving and taking away the black. Did you, so I saw you speak at Swan books for your book, uh, event when your book first came out, it was like the day your book came out. Yeah. So I, I'm kind of going to bring in some of that conversation. I'll try to sure. preface it for you guys at home, but you talked about how this book was you kind of working through some things yourself. Um, we should say that you're mixed, you're a light skinned mixed black dude. Mm -hmm. Um, so the narrator and you share commonalities, also punk band, though he's a bassist, Mm -hmm. not the singer. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of similarities. So I guess my question for you is first, why do a novel instead of doing a memoir? Mm -hmm. And then I guess second, how much of you, Chris is actually in this book and how much of it do you feel like is fiction-y stuff that you created? Sure. Um, I, I wanted to, to write about some of my experiences, uh, like a big, trying to figure out my black identity in the, in the punk scene, which at the time especially was very uh, white and male. Um, still is right. Sure. It's, it's, or it's getting better. Gets better. Okay. Um, but you know, it's, it still has a ways to go. All right. It's come a long way though, I'd say. <laughs> okay. Um, and I, I wanted to do fiction because I think fiction, I could, you know, make the character more exaggerated, kind of up the ante of his neuroses, his neurosis, um, and uh, just just make the story more exciting. If it was just sticking to my own life, it, it wouldn't be, you know, as exciting a read. I could take more liberties Got it. Um, and also have, have a little distance from portraying people, like real people in my life. Right. So, I mean, the, the book is fiction, and I hope that no one from my life when I was younger picks it up and it's like, ah, oh, crap, this is based on me. Right. You know, I, I didn't want that to happen because right. it wasn't like my, the point of my book was to, I didn't want to like take down a certain person who offended me when I was right. 21. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the, the pettiest thing possible. I'm not quite that petty. That's what I would do in my book. <laughs> I'd be like, Oh, like Kara instead of Karen or something. You <laughs> yeah. Know, like really casual. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there, there are, yeah, his bandmates are Russell and Mason. There isn't a guy named like Muscle. Okay. Who's going to be, who's going to get <laughs> That's real salty. Like, yeah, okay. So it's, but you are working through re- very real things that you, Chris, were working through. Sure. I mean, you, you could through. picture the narrator as like a extra neurotic 21 year old version of me. Um, and, you know, the, the street names are real. A lot of the feelings and emotions and points of view are real. Um, right. It's just, you know, put in a different story. Got it. Yeah. Got it. And how would you call this book a satire? I think you, I like the way you put it, that it is, it's lightly satirical. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's only a satire, but I think there is a satirical element. And I think that comes through um, in the way that the narrator is kind of exaggerated. I think good satire, like it, it exaggerates something to the point where it starts to seem kind of absurd, but it's still believable. Right. And I hope that I did that with my narrator. Also, it also can sometimes, I think good satire goes in the opposite direction and can 
reduce something that can seem kind of complex, big, or just kind of hard to wrap your head around into something really, really simple. For example, the physical black card that the character has. Right. Yeah. And I think in this, in your book, the satire definitely is much more in the beginning. Like it kind of sets it up mm. and then it starts to feel much more real. I don't yeah. know if that's something that you did intentionally or if that's just my reading of it, but I definitely feel like in the beginning, I was like, these things are like absurd and like it's a black card and how funny <laughs> and how quirky. And then as, as our narrator gets more and more shit happens, mm-hmm. as more as things get more serious for him, I feel like it starts to pull away kind of the funny. Yeah. It gets. I think it gets progressively less funny and a little little trippier and yeah. also a little bit more of a, like a twist to the gut um, yeah. as the book goes on. I wanted it to get progressively more and more uncomfortable. Okay. You did yeah. that. I Good. feel that. Because okay. towards the end, I was like, I'm not having as much fun. <laughs> like, I don't know if I like this as much. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, I, I put the you, know, you got to put some sugar in the medicine, and right? That's the, the funny stuff. But <laughs> right. yeah, there's, there's more sugar up top. And, Definitely. Yeah. Uh, but there are parts throughout. Like, there's a part later in the book where you go through the different kinds of guys in punk bands, and I thought that was really funny. Though I don't doesn't mean anything to me because I don't know anything about punk bands, but it meant something to me because I know those guys. Sure. Like, you don't have to know punk band to know the guy who gets too drunk or the mm. guy who's like takes everything way too serious and thinks everything's like, you know, the grand old Opry or whatever. Not mm-hmm. that that's where punk people go. <laughs> they could, you never know. I yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. Crappy dudes are crappy dudes and sure. punk is a subculture. So it's kind of a microcosm. Right. Yeah. And in this book, he's also into funk. Yeah. A lot of funk. Is that you also? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like a lot of different kinds of music. Um, and one of the, like my dad is a, a music lover and a guitar okay. player and one of the main ways that we bonded was like I'd be listening to Public Enemy or something mm-hmm. and he'd be like, I recognize those drums. That's from a James Brown record. Oh I got gosh. that 45. Hold on. Let me get that out. You know. <laughs> um, and, and so, yeah, I, I, I do love a lot of like black music from the 60s, 70s plus 80s, 90s and today. Right. Um, or like the wave or whatever in LA. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah, I'll go back and forth between the wave. Like I'll hear a Sade song, then go yes. to K-Day and listen to some rap. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to show that this guy was using – pop culture to kind of construct a black identity right. and running up against some of those limitations because some of the ways that black people are represented in pop culture, especially roughly 20 years ago when the book is set, were like, it's really reductive. Right. Um, so he's like, he's kind of having this conflict of like, if I want to be black, then I have to be like black, like I'm seeing on TV, but this isn't really me. So am I black? Right. Yeah. Well, and that's like the big central question is, am I black or am I black enough or am I the right kind of black? Yeah, yeah. Right? Because there's there's definitely a certain kind of black that he's trying to be. Mm-hmm. Like he's not trying to be like Hotep. No. You know, like he's yeah. like trying to be a very specific, I guess, urban, yeah, like kind of, I, he, I guess, I don't know, who would you, if you could pick someone that you would say, this is the person that he's aiming towards. Sure. Do you have that? Did you have that in mind? <laughs> um. I don't, yeah, I, I picture him as wanting to be kind of cool and mainstream, and he's kind of he's just far too weird. Who was that though? That um, I, I like don't know. in two thousand, Mackay Pfeiffer maybe. Great in O, the Othello remake with Julia Stiles, wasn't that him? I think so. I think, Wait, and he's also in uh, Eight Mile. He's he's in Eight Mile. I think he plays Othello. Okay, is that the one where they're where they're all rapping and it's got the guy from Juice in it? 
No, it's okay. with Josh Hartnett. Oh, okay. It's, Please don't let Josh Hartnett rap. <laughs> it's Josh Hartnett, Julia Stiles, and I think Mackay Pfeiffer. Okay, I I believe it. But it's really great. It's a really great film. This is, these are some like early 2000s Hollywood deep cuts right here. Yeah, that's a really important movie in my life as a Shakespeare lover and a Julia Stiles fan at the time. Say the last dance. Great mm-hmm. film. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think who else was like really cool. I I even think of like 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 maybe young Ghostface Killer or something. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because he also like tries really hard, like way too hard, aggressively character, like caricature hard. Yeah. Which is, but that's real. Like you and I are both mixed. So we mm-hmm. both have probably, I mean, I can't speak for you, but I'm sure there have been times in your life where you felt like, oh, am I black enough? Am I doing it right? Sure. And for me, it wasn't until in the last maybe 10, 15 years that I even understood that that whole idea was super racist and dumb. Yeah. 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 Same for me. I had a similar experience when I was embarrassingly old, you know, being yeah. like 30-ish and being like, oh, yeah, this is definitely some nonsense. Right. Um, yeah. 100%. Like that – I can't remember who it was or what I was reading or listening to, but it was something along the lines of like anything that a black person does or says is black. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Because I, cause I don't know. I used to get the the whole like, oh, I'm blacker than you because I know all the lyrics to this Wu-Tang song. And I'm right. like, oh, okay. Like, I'm like, God, I feel really bad on myself. I don't know all the lyrics to this <laughs> Wu-Tang. Like, what have I done in my life? And then I realized, like, that's bullshit. Mm-hmm. And it's racist. It is. And I mean, I know some <laughs> like, I could probably, you know, I, I know a few like try hard, low-key racist white people who also know those Wu-Tang lyrics. And that doesn't make them black. Right. Yeah. And I like I would never say, oh, I'm whiter than you because <laughs> I know the lyrics to this Dolly Parton song. <laughs> like, that's such a ridiculous thing to say. And no one ever says that to white people. That's true. I mean, that's because they're, you know, they're, they're the, they're the, supremacists yeah and they're the least cool this is you know (laughs) like no one's like i'm trying to be a huge dolly parton fan like what's (laughs) up though shout out to dolly parton she's great Uh, she's actually fantastic and i love her she's one of the good ones she is she is she's (laughs) hilarious but that idea of oh i need to be doing certain things to be considered black and that there really was a scale of blackness Mm -hmm. and i think that that's bullshit but i didn't realize that i knew in my heart growing up that I didn't like when people would say that to me. Yeah. Like I knew that it made me really mad and mm-hmm. irritated, but I don't think that I understood the reason that it did was because it was bullshit. Yeah. I just internalized it. I was like, yeah. I don't like this and it makes me uncomfortable because clearly I don't measure up. Right. You know? Like I'm not good enough because I, you know, whatever it is, I mm-hmm. don't, I don't know. It's always rap music. Oh really? <laughs> I mean, I love rap music. I listen to rap music, but I don't know. I just, I didn't know everybody's everything. I don't Yeah. And you know, Black culture is massive. Black culture is American culture. So mm-hmm. you really have to know every single thing. And if any person who's not black knows a little minor thing that you don't know, you're not black anymore. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Give Chris your black card. <laughs> and, and I feel like, and if you're, you know, a generation or two older than us, um, you'd be like, what is this rap crap? What do you mean you don't know all these Lena Horne songs or something? Right. Exactly. <laughs> I feel like I did better with that. My dad was into music too. So I know all the old shit. I okay. feel like. But when you were saying that your dad would be like, oh, I know that drumline or that baseline. Have you ever heard of a podcast called Dissect? I have. I've listened to a little bit of have that. Have you? It yeah. made me think of that because um, I love that podcast. Speaking of people who are not cool but deeply entrenched in hip-hop culture, the host of that show, Cole Kushner, mm-hmm. he is 
like the nerdiest white boy ever, but he's so smart and good at music stuff. And he did the Kanye, uh, beautiful, dark, twisted fantasy album. And that one is like so many samples and hearing him go back and go through made me think that older generations, like our parents ages and whatever would like, like that's a reason that they would might be into hip hop because it references that music from their past. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm I'm getting in my dad's head again, but I remember he wasn't like a hip hop fan, but I think he'd be like, I just, I just, I want, I want something new. I don't want, I don't want someone spitting James Brown back mm. at me because I heard that to death when I was a teenager. Right. Cause I was listening to James Brown. Right. Yeah. Whereas I like the sampling. Yeah. I think it's really fun. That was always, I mean, I'm a music dork. Um, and I try not to be one of those people who'd pull rank if someone didn't know all the, all right. of a, the verse to a Wu-Tang song or something. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it was fun to kind of work back like that and be like, well, this is from this James Brown and finding the sample. And hey, right. I like this song too. And kind of following that like breadcrumb trail, a different culture. Was, was yeah. Well, if you're into that, you have to listen to Dissect. It's so good. He I just will. started doing Damn. Kendrick Lamar Damn is mm-hmm. in the new one. He's only like three or four episodes in. Um, but I love the podcast, even though he's a total nerd and like. Ain't nothing wrong with that. No, but it is funny when he's like. And then he says, N-word, we're going to be all right. And I'm like, oh, oh, God, I just am so embarrassed for you right yeah, now. Yeah. <laughs> like, stop. <laughs> but I, I love it. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. And it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. 
Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, we're going to transition a little bit from your book sure. to your reading habits. But first, we do this little mini segment. Mm-hmm. It's called Ask the Stacks. Someone sent us an email. They're asking for a book recommendation. So I'm going to read it to you. And you're going to try to come up with a book recommendation for this person. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of like a little pop quiz for you. So this one comes from Charlotte and she says, your podcast is one of my weekly things to look forward to. And even though my TBR to be read list is quite long already, I'm looking forward to receiving some more specific recommendations from you and your guest. I enjoy nonfiction books that cover social issues, preferably with a true crime component and literary fiction that deals with immigration, identity and belonging. Some of my favorites have been Missoula, Seven Fallen Feathers, Killers of the Flower Moon. And then for fiction, she says, What We Were Promised, Everyone Knows You Go Home, and Americana. Mm. So I'll go first. I'll give you a little time. Yeah. Um, I only did nonfiction, Charlotte, because I am who I am. Uh, <laughs> so my first one is The Far Away Brothers. It's by Lauren Markham. It came out maybe two years ago. And it's about two brothers who come, I believe they're twins. They come to uh, California from El Salvador and Lauren writes their story. And in the interest of full disclosure, she ends up working at the school that they go to when they get to the Bay Area. So she knows the boys personally, but also does a ton of extensive research. So it kind of, it's not really true crime, but it mixes a more personal narrative with a bigger, broader picture of immigration. Um, Another one I would suggest is The Autobiography of an Execution by David R. Dow. It's all about uh, the death penalty. And it's great. And then the last one is Going Clear by Lawrence Wright. So good. Uh, (laughs) It's about Scientology. Chris and I both live in LA, so we're super into Scientology. I'm sure you can't really be here and not be like a little confused and excited about it. Um, But Lawrence Wright is a really amazing writer, historian. He wrote the book The Looming Tower about 9-11. He has a new book about Texas. But he's just great and he really does a deep, deep, deep dive into Scientology. And I think it became an HBO show or miniseries. Anyways, so those are my suggestions. Chris, did you come up with anything? So I think the first thing that I would would suggest is uh, A Brief History of Seven Killings by Mm. Marlon James. It's a bit of a misnomer. It's not brief. It's a long-ass book. It's not brief. But it's a a fictionalization of uh, some of the political turmoil in Jamaica in the late 70s into the early 80s. Um, And it's all centered around an assassination attempt on Bob Marley. So it's fictionalized. I think Bob Marley is just referred to as the singer throughout it. And the book, it's written in a really deep first person. So it's almost, it reads like an oral history. Um, and so you get, it indulges kind of some, some it, it indulges some, some of the stuff that's appealing about fiction and also kind of feels like nonfiction in a certain way. And it's one of my favorite things I've read in the last few years. It's a, it's a long book, but it's a satisfying book. And I was at my happiest reading it after I'd kind of learned all the different characters' voices and you just kind of pick them up from the way they were talking on the page. I'm very interested in that in literature. And I think James does that really, really skillfully in that book. Um, If you're looking for straight up nonfiction and true crime, um, 
And stuff about identity. I haven't read this in a while, but a few years ago I read The Devil's Highway mm. by Luis Alberto Urea. Um, and it's about a stretch of the desert, I believe, in Arizona, um, which is especially dangerous for people who are coming across into the U.S. from Mexico. It's just um, this really arid stretch of desert um, where a lot of people die. And it follows, it's like a, it follows a group of people across the desert and what happens to them. And it's a really great read. Um, I think it continues to be timely as our, the U.S.-Mexico border continues to be, a, unfortunately, a hotly contested thing. Um, and I think it, it really humanizes the, the struggles of a lot of people who are trying to come into the U.S. I love that book. Thank you. It's so good. And if you haven't read I'll Be Gone in the Dark by Michelle McNamara, mm. that's true crime about the Golden State killer, a serial killer who finally just got caught right after the book came out. Um, and I remember I, I was reading it last summer, 2018, and I had a rough week when my wife was out of town. Um, and I really wanted to read the book, but I was scared to read it while I was <laughs> home alone. Um, because even when, like, when with my family in the house, I'd be scared to read it before bed than, like, get up and use the bathroom before I went to sleep. Because I'd be like, this guy's going to be in there. <laughs> it's terrifying. It's one of the scariest things I've ever read. And if that sounds appealing to you, it's also really, really well researched and fascinating true crime. I have it and I haven't read it because I'm scared to read it, Dude. but I love true crime. But when I read Helter Skelter, have you ever read that? I have not. Okay. So I was living in New York and this is like what a scaredy cat I am. I was so excited. I loved the book, but I was like, I can't read it at night because it's too scary. So I was reading it in the day and then one day I forgot to pack a book for the bag in my bag for the night. So I'm like on the subway and I'm reading it and then I'm in Times Square and it's late. And I don't know if you, have you ever lived in New York? I did, yeah. You know, sometimes it's like they stop and they leave the doors open for a few minutes because something else is going on and you're just waiting. Yeah. So this happens for like five minutes. And I I was living on Upper West Side and I'm in Times Square, so I'm like 30 blocks away. And I finally was like, someone's coming to murder me. So I just get off the train and walk (laughs) the rest of the way home at like 1 a.m. because that is safer, obviously, than just being on the train because the book was like so in my head. So I can feel the fear. Mm. Um. Okay, Char, well, let us know if you read any of those books and what you think. But um, I co-sign Chris's recommendations. Those are two books that I – the first two are two books I've loved. Um, And speaking of two books I love, your turn. What are two books you love and one book you hate? Two books that I love. Um, Signs Preceding the End of the World by Yuri Herrera and New People by Dan Z. Senna. Mm, New People comes up a lot on this show. Okay, good. Yeah. I have a lot of mixed friends, and almost all of them always say it. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, that was one that I like wouldn't read while I was working on my book, because I was like, it's either going to psych me out, or I'm going to find out that she did what I was trying to do better, or... Totally different. It's, it's very different, thank goodness, but it's so good. I, so good. Yeah, my wife is especially interested in, like, women narrators who are, have, like, a mental illness, or, like... <laughs> You know, some kind of borderline personality, um, and it's not attributed to something that men did. So right. it isn't like she was abused by right. a guy, and now she's like this. It's just right. like, this person is psycho, and we're not going to explain why. Maria is one of the most memorable characters I've ever read. Man, same. Yeah. <sighs> Unnerving. Yes. Um, and for books I hate, I, I don't know. Um, I couldn't finish Catch-22 by Joseph Heller. I tried <laughs> twice. Um, I didn't hate it. I just wasn't feeling it. That's okay. Yeah. You're allowed to not feel something. What's the last great book you read? I just finished reading Your House Will Pay by Steph Cha. Mm. Um, and uh, it's it's set here in L.A. It's kind of – it's about two families that were uh, involved in the in the L.A. riots, a black family and a Korean family. 
um, and about the ways that some of the violence in that era continues to ripple through their family about the, those consequences. The book just came out this week. It's awesome. Um, I stayed up late reading it, which is a lot to say because I'm a parent. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I have it. I want to read it. I I'm, have a little bit of an obsession with LA riots. Yeah. Because it happened when I was kind of in that eight, I guess, what, 92? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. And then OJ was right after. So like that whole time it happened and I remember it, but I didn't understand it. And then when I relearned about it later, I was like, oh my God. Cause I was really, I was like six and eight when those things happen. Yeah. Um, so it's good. Yeah. I remember. Yes. It's very good. I remember that Anita Hill kind of coming yeah. just before that. It was a, a few years of like pretty messed up stuff. And I was just a little bit too young to fully. Yeah. And then now as an adult, I'm like, I'm obsessed with this. Yeah. Cause it was just recently. Well, no, not really. It was just recently the anniversary, but no, it was it was when we were moving out here in 2012 was the anniversary of the riots, right? They're 92. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's not recent at all, but we're, we're actually coming up on the next big anniversary sooner than the last one. But um, what are you reading right now? I'm reading The Lager Queen of Minnesota by J. Ryan Straddle. Um, I'm interviewing him at Broman's in a few weeks. Oh, you are? So, so I'm doing my homework Very and I'm, enjoy- I'm enjoying doing my homework. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. He just has a good way of he just puts a really good story together you know it's like kind of serendipitous in this really enjoyable like fun way that just leads you along and okay. with really really good characters and there's food and beer in there and i like both those things. <laughs> that helps and he also he can like he writes i like his format he writes these really short sections and they always just have like the last line or two is always just a crusher mm. yeah okay i have to check it out i'd never even heard of it and someone else mentioned it when i was interviewing them I think they were also reading it. I mean, ju- it just came out, right? Yeah, it came out this this summer or fall. Yeah, Jay Ryan, he lives here in L.A. Oh, really? Good people. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, oh, what are you looking forward to reading? Hmm. Well, I'm blurbing some forthcoming stuff by Ed Lynn, Joey Poole, and David Puritz. Okay. So I'm looking forward to kicking into all of those. So do you decide you're going to blurb before you read? Yeah, generally. It'll be like, can you? will you blurb my book or will you blurb this okay. book? And then you say yes, and then you read it. Yeah, there have been a couple times where I said, well, you know, let me check it out. Then I had to awkwardly be like this. I don't think I'm the right person for this job. (laughs) Is that because you didn't like the book? Or is that because you really didn't think you were the right person? I was not the right person for the job because I did not like the book. Got it. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. I kind of never really thought about how that works. I always kind of thought that it was you just send your book to everybody and then you just like write an email. It's like, here's my book. If you like it, will you blurb it? I never thought it was actually a, will you blurb it? Yes or no. And then you read it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a big ask to, you know, to ask another writer to sit down and spend enough time to give your book a close read and say something nice about it. You also have amazing blurbs on your book. Oh, you have really cool people. Thanks. Yeah. It really made me feel like I was part of something. Yeah. Endorsements from all these writers whose stuff I love. Yeah, it's, I mean, I, before I started doing this podcast, I never read blurbs and I still don't really read the blurbs, but I do like to see who has blurbed them. Yeah. I think the name is more important than the I words think the so blurb. too. Cause the words are generally positive. Yeah. Like you're not going to put like, I like the book, but I had some problems with it. Right, right. <laughs> like, yeah. You can skip chapter six. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> how do you pick your next book if you're not blurbing it? Hmm. How, how do I? It depends. Sometimes I, I get books suggested. I have a just a little a, a list in the notes app in my phone. Um, it also depends what's available at the library. I'm a big library person. And I'm kind of slowly but surely accumulating books. My to-read shelf is just on top of my dresser. Okay. So I'm not allowed to go off the dresser. 
So I'll try to get something off of there if there isn't a library book that, just, that I've had on hold for two months that's finally available or something. That's so quaint, just one shelf. Oh, <laughs> My husband would really appreciate if I could figure out a way to do that. <laughs> I'm not a big keeper of books. Okay, what do you do with them? Um, I often get them from the library okay. or I give them to other people who I think would like them. Got if it's it. signed, if it's got my name in it and the author's name, like th- those are the ones that I'll definitely keep. Yeah. Or if it's something that I know I'll return to a lot if I'm teaching from it or that I know I'll want to reread. Okay. Yeah. Wait, where do you teach? I do teaching work for Writing Workshops LA and I'm starting with UCLA Extension. Oh, well. very cool. Thank you. Yeah, the, the long hustle, I want to be a professor. What will you teach? What, what, do you, what, what class do you teach? I'm teaching a novel writing class for UCLA and um, or for the UCLA Extension, which is the night school. Okay. Um, and for writing workshops, LA, I do different things. I mainly like specific seminars, like writing dialogue, writing music, writing like diverse characters who might have had different experiences than you. Um, and I'm doing a seminar on how to get a literary agent. Wow. Because your first book, you self-published, right? No, it was like a very small press, and small I did press. it without an agent, which was That's not a wise was. idea. Yeah. No. <laughs> and then your second book, you got an agent. I did. So, yeah, I, I worked with an agent and took a step up and working with a bigger press. Did you know that you wanted to get an agent or was someone like you were talking to another friend who would published a book and had an agent and they were like, this is so much easier. And you were like watching them and then you realized or did you know going into Black Card you weren't going to do it unless you had? Uh, I, I, I wanted an agent. Okay. Um, I knew that that was like the smartest way to the agent. Agents are you know, gatekeepers. Um, and so working with an agent can help me get my book somewhere where I couldn't have gotten it on my own. And I think that that's something to look for in a publisher too, is somebody who can make your circle a little bit wider. Um, the first book I was looking for an agent when I got an offer from a small press Mm. and I was kind of like, you know, this is what, what's the expression about like a bird in the hand versus two in the bush. Right. You know, and it seemed like I could have good, like a lot of creative control over the book, um, and could have a book out pretty quickly and it was a definite how and did you get that book because that book was pretty well acclaimed like you yeah. got you won some awards or on some lists and things i don't i can never remember that everyone's doing an award on the list but you were recognized for your yeah. first book how did that happen uh, i mean the, the pre- so the first book is called zero fade and the publisher sent it out you know they still were doing marketing and publicity it right. wasn't like it was just like one other person well, right of course the- yeah <laughs> so they, they still they got it they got it in a few places and you know hopefully and that might have even helped to set the groundwork for me taking a step up with black card. It was, you know, it felt good to be able to contact literary agents like, yeah, my last book got like these best of 2013 lists. Right. You know, right. What can you do for me? Yeah. Um, that sounds cocky, but it, it definitely helped. Oh, I think it helped open some doors and start some conversations. Got it. Well, that's cool that you're teaching. I love teaching. You do. Yes. And you want to be a professor. I do. Of uh, creative writing, creative writing. Did yeah. you get an MFA in creative writing? Uh, yeah, at uh, Columbia College, Chicago. Oh, okay. Uh, 10 years ago. Do you recommend that people do that who want to be writers? Uh, it depends how you feel about debt. Like, sure. you know, <laughs> or if you can get into a program that won't have you in debt. Right. By all means, do that. I mean, every month I'm writing, I'm paying off part of my student loans, and it's like, this could be going to a mortgage payment instead. Right. Um, but if I wasn't paying this, I'd probably be like depressed, drunk, and watching CSI every night. So. Why not do both? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it turned me into a writer, and it, it gave me the kind of gave me the time to focus and help me kind of find my voice. It was it was very very helpful for me as a creative person. I went from someone who wanted to write to being a writer. Yeah, and my thesis was my first novel. So, 
it went well. Okay, so that worked out for you. Yeah, now I just got to pay off these loans. Right. <laughs> it's fine. You're getting there. Do you feel like it's easy for you to refer to yourself as a writer? Um, yeah, because I don't really do much else. Okay. You know, I'm a parent and I'm a runner and I cook. Um, and those are all parts of my identity as well. But yeah, I'm a writer. I mean, that's what I do. That's how I make my living. So. Yeah. You just said I'm a runner. That's the reason that made me think of that is I started running a long time ago and I never referred to myself as a runner. Mm-hmm. And then it wasn't until I read that book, Born to Run. Have you read that book? No. Oh my God, it's so good. It's it's amazing. It sounds really corny and dumb. It's really, really good. But they talk about it, it, it's the same thing we all, you know, you hear. If you do this thing, you are a blank. So if you run, you're a runner. But it was really hard for me to get my mind around it, even though I've run marathons and ha- wow. like I like was I'm a runner. Yeah. But I don't think of myself as a runner. So I was wondering if it was challenging to call yourself a writer. Because I know some people do the weird thing where they're like, oh, I've written a book. But they don't say, I'm a writer. Oh, um, I do. I had a lot of angst about that as I was first starting to publish short stories. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this was maybe 10 years ago. And mm-hmm. like, I mean, like when, when, do I, when do I make the jump where I can be like, yeah, I'm a writer. Um, and I, I think once I had a book out and I was like, I am the author of this book, therefore I am an author. Like, right. That's when I was just like, yeah, there's no turning back. Okay. Yeah. You're like, I, I did it. Check. I'm a writer. Yeah. Every one of my, one of, one of my professor's husbands actually checked me on that. He's like, no, you're, you're the, you made this book, so you're an author. Stop, yeah. stop hedging on me. Like, yeah. Okay, all right. Well, I know something people could be insecure about or weird about. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know. Um, what's, what's a book that you like to recommend to people? And I think it, it depends on the person. Like it's, it's, you know, it's like if you're having a dinner party. Right. You don't want to be like, I had some vegetarians coming over. Right. Now's the time to bust out the fried chicken. Right. <laughs> um, but I, I recently I suggested uh, Mira Corpora by Jeff Jackson to my wife. Uh, I suggested Turner House by Angela Flournoy to a friend. And those both went over well. Um, yeah, so I you don't to, do like a go-to. You don't have like some go-to recs. No, I don't. I don't think anything. I don't think anything is for everyone. Right. Yeah. I agree. Except Black Card by Chris Terry. Yes. Yeah. That's the only book I recommend. <laughs> I agree with you, but I definitely feel like I have books that, depending, like if someone, I'm like, what do you like? And then mm. I go like, Route A, Route B, Route C. Yeah. What's the last really good book that someone recommended to you? Hmm. Oh, um, Jim Ruland and Todd Taylor, who I know through writing for Razor Cake magazine. Okay. It's like a, a punk magazine. Um, <laughs> they suggested Sarah Grand's Claire DeWitt novels to me. Huh. Uh, Claire DeWitt is a sleuth. It's a, so it's like an update on detective noir type tropes okay. with this like drug gobbling, cynical Gen X woman who lives in San Francisco. So okay. she's like, <laughs> like smoke, smoke some embalming fluid and it's like trying to solve a crime and whoa. <laughs> yeah. So it, it I, yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed that. I like crime novels a lot. Um, and this was a nice twist on it because, you know, I love like Raymond Chandler, but then, you know, it's definitely a very straight white male, few generations back perspective. Mm-hmm. And it can be hard to, hard to fully enjoy that, fully commit. Would you ever write in that world? I'd like to. I'm such a, I feel like I'm more of a character driven writer. Okay. And so I envy the facility with plot that it takes to write a book like that. Mm. But I will eventually try to write like a mystery or a crime novel or something. I even like Black Card started out as an attempt at a crime novel and those type of subplots, like <laughs> those went away. Those went away. Yeah. Do you have genres that you are super not into that you might avoid? I don't think I've ever read a no- romance novel, but okay. I mean, I could read one tomorrow and love it. Right. You know? Um, no, no, 
you're open. Yeah. And then what's your what are your go-tos besides mystery, thrillery? Yeah, m- mystery and crime stuff. And I've gotten into audiobooks in the last year or so, and that's a, a good way to listen to anything with a strong first-person narrator. So a lot of those crime novels have that, and that's something I like in a book. It's also a good way for me to listen to – I listen to anything that I'm not trying to, like, study the craft of as much. Mm-hmm. So celeb memoirs, like br- – br- Brilliant. Yes. Brilliant on audiobook. Yeah. Speaking of Wu-Tang Clan, you gods is just like <laughs> is having it? this 50-year-old from Staten Island yelling at you in the passenger seat of your car for four hours. <laughs> it was great. Was yeah. it? Yeah. Are you into sports at all? I'm not. I do like good writing about sports. Though. Okay. It's not writing about sports, but one of the best audiobooks I've listened to this year, and I would say it's pretty niche, but it's so good, is Andre Iguodala. He plays for the Golden State Warriors, mm-hmm. or he did. He's not on the team anymore. But he has a memoir called The Sixth Man, and he's been in the NBA since 2001 or two. Or he's been like, he's a journeyman, mm-hmm. and he talks about all of these players that you know. He was on Allen Iverson's team. Obviously, mm-hmm. he was with Steph Curry in them, yeah. but he also talks about racism in the NCAA and the plantation mentality of the NBA. It's just really well done. He's so smart mm-hmm. and thoughtful. And I was like, I, I'm a huge basketball fan and I love the Warriors. So I was like, I'm going to read it because I love Andre Godala. But I actually think it's good if you don't like him. But I don't know if you would like it if you don't like basketball. No, that, that sounds interesting. I, I am like intrigued by what it would be like to be in a professional sports league. Yeah. And I think the people who are like, maybe slightly overlooked are the, are the really good observers yeah. and the storytellers and you got the Wu-Tang guy. He's like one of the less famous. Yeah. He's like the down team. the ranks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so he, he, he has a kind of a sort of, he's there. So it's an inside perspective, but it's not like he's like, this is me crushing it. You know? Right. It's not like Michael Jordan. Yeah. Like it, he doesn't have to protect. Yeah. That's a really good the brand or whatever. Right. Right. It's like, you can be observant. That's kind of how this book is. I ha- and the thing that's even crazier about it is that he doesn't actually do the narration. He has a guy, like there's a reader, and the reader is so good. Mm-hmm. And usually I feel like when it's a memoir, you want to hear the person. But yeah. I don't think Andre Iguodala could do it as huh. good as this this guy. I mean, obviously he's a professional audiobook reader, right? Yeah. But he's so – it's so good. That's, that's, a real, that's a real job is like – yeah, leaving it. To, I, I do like the idea of leaving it to a pro, unless it's like yeah. a, a famous person. Right. Totally. Yeah. I'm well, listening to Miles Davis's uh, autobiography right now. The auto, the the audio book rather, uh-huh. and it's it's actually a voice actor like doing a Miles Davis impression oh, the whole time. Okay. It was real jarring for the first twenty minutes. Now I'm I'm like I'm pretty into it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I feel like that's like kind of cringeworthy, but if it works, it works. I feel like my wife would laugh her ass off at me if she heard it. But she like walked in the room and you were listening, like on the speaker. Okay. Yeah, because he has like this kind of <laughs> low, scratchy voice. It sounds like someone making fun of a jazz dude, kind of. Okay, <laughs> yeah. I love that. Well, I actually just to jump ahead to next week. I started. I didn't start in the middle of We Cast a Shadow. I listened to about twenty pages just because I wanted to hear what it was like. And yeah. the guy who does it is really good. I agree. He, um, I feel like he added a whole other dimension to it. Like I, I read my read of the book was a little bit more like nervous and kind of like clammy and a little bit removed from all the pill popping uh-huh. that's going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like I feel like the narrator brought out the humor in a certain way. Yeah, that, totally. Yeah. Well, we'll okay. We'll save everything else about that. I didn't sure, that. Sure. Do you have a favorite bookstore? Yeah, SO1 Books on Degnan and Lamert Park in Los Angeles. It's my neighborhood bookstore. Um, 
And the first time I went in there, they had my first book, Zero Fade, on the shelf. That book didn't have a whole lot of reach. Mm-hmm. So they really, they really had me mm-hmm. with that. They also carry a lot of stuff that I like. I trust their taste. Um, and like two guys who run it. Yeah. They always will give you a million recommendations. Yes. They great. know every book in the store. They do. Yeah. Like if you're like, oh, what do you think about this? They're like, oh, well, this and this. And I'm like, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, my, it's also my favorite bookstore here in L.A. And so little. Yeah. Yeah. And Barack Obama was there. Yes. When he did his dreams, dreams for my father. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever heard of the podcast The Nod? No. What is that? It's these it's it's a it's a love of black culture podcast, basically. It's kind of like a mix between the read and still processing, if you will. Okay, okay. I anyway, think, oh, who who's the host? Her name is Claire and his name is like Eric or something. Okay. I think I did listen to that before. Anyways, they do this thing called Six Degrees of Black Separation. And they (laughs) take like crazy people, different people. And I should say, shout out to Jason Reynolds. He's the one who told me to listen to the podcast and now I'm hooked. Mm. But um, they they will take – like they did one for music and they took old school music people and new school music people and they pulled the names out of the hat. And so they had to connect Curtis Mayfield to Lizzo. And I was like, that's impossible. And it took them a really long time. But – when I read your book, mm-hmm. I was able to do it because Curtis Mayfield is mentioned in your book two mm-hmm. times. Yeah. And you had your reading at S1 Books. And so did Barack Obama, who listened to Lizzo this summer and put her on his list of music. Oh, that's good. And I was like, this is so cool. I was thinking there'd be a, a woodwind <laughs> connection between like maybe some, some flutes on a Curtis Mayfield. Yeah, I did no connection to actual music because <laughs> I don't know anything about music like that. Like It's way too intense. But when I was – I just listened to the episode and then I was reading your book and I was like, oh my god, I can do it. It's so easy. I'll, 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 I'll sit in between uh, Curtis Mayfield and Lizzo. That sounds good. Yeah, and Barack Obama, the four yeah. of you just hanging out casually. Yeah, Perfect. Yeah, it's done. Um, talk about someone who's not Lizzo, who's not black, right, in the way that we assume that you have to be black. I'm sure she got that all the time playing flute. Yeah, that, that's that, that's that's an unusual instrument, probably. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's an unusual instrument, I think, period. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I don't know much about it. She's making me like the sound of the flute. I was watching some videos of her playing. I was like, oh, okay, th- this makes it work. Okay. She's like a legit flautist. Yeah. That's the term for a flute player. Oh, I know. <laughs> What's the last book you bought? The last book that I bought, hmm. I feel like I shouldn't have to write that one down, right? I know I recently bought uh, Bottom Feeders, which is a graphic novel by Ezra Clayton Daniels and Ben Passmore. Oh, Ben Passmore. Yeah. He did some – do you know Ben or do you know his work? I – someone brought him up on this podcast before. Okay. He does comic things. Yeah. So this, and he's in How We Fight White Supremacy. He has a comic in there, I think. That, that's, that sounds about right. Yeah, his best known thing is called uh, Your Black Friend, yes. which is about being kind of a punky activist yes, type. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So uh, Ben illustrated the story that Ezra wrote, which is kind of like a horror story about gentrification. Ooh. Yeah. Okay, cool. They're friends of mine. We have like a DeBarge type of crew of light-skinned dudes that all hang out together. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love that. Um, what, what's the last book that made you laugh? I'm laughing at Jay Ryan's book, um, at The Lager Queen of Minnesota. Um, there's one of the main characters is a woman named Edith who's like just kind of oppressively practical. Okay. And she has these really judgy ways of describing people who are not. Okay. And those little one-liners are making me laugh. Okay. Yeah. Last book to make you cry? Oh, okay. The last book that made me cry, uh, Ian Campbell Swarty, he wrote a book called The Bull Loving Truth. 
And it's like a memoir as an artist. And a lot of it is about a mutual friend of ours who passed away in 2008. Oh. So it gave me some time to kind of linger with my friend's memory. And also learn some uncomfortable stuff about that friend's like last days. Oh, yeah. Tough. yeah. Okay, well, let's make it feel a little better. What's the book that brings you joy? The book that brings me joy? Uh, every book that I finish, I would say. Because <laughs> if it doesn't bring me joy, I'll, I'll put that shit down after like 75 pages. You'll go as deep as 75 pages. I have the, I think 75 pages is when I check in. Are you a fast reader, would you say? It depends on the book. Okay. Yeah. Because I'm not a super fast reader, so 50 for me is like... That's like an hour plus of my time. Yeah. I mean, depending on the book. Um, what about a book that you feel proud to have read? So I, I didn't grow up religious at all. Okay. Um, in college, I took a class called The Bible is Literature. Okay. Because I wanted to know what was going on in there. And okay. like, I figured if I wanted to write books that, that a lot of people have read this one, right? Right. So I better check out what's going on in here. So um, you read it. So I, I read it. I didn't go like front to back on it. But okay. We read a lot of the Bible over the course of that semester. And so I got a kind of a knowledge of the contents of it. And I'm glad that I forced myself to do that. I didn't have a religious transformation or anything, but got it. I, you know, I learned a lot about history and storytelling. Yeah. That's yeah. so interesting. Do you like the class? Yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was fascinating. Sounds good. There was like one person in there that just couldn't get around the as literature part of it. Right. <laughs> Yeah. So they were like treating it as scripture? Yeah, pretty yeah. much. And it's a like, lot of the class was talking about like the context for when some of the stuff was written, which goes against the idea of it as scripture. Right. Yeah. Totally. What about a book that you're embarrassed that you've never read? I don't, I can't think of one off the top of my head. Like I'm, I'm relatively young. I, I got time. I can, if I haven't read it yet, I'll, I'll get to it. You know. Is I, there anything on your bucket list that's like, I got to get to this. This is one I like must read before <laughs> uh, I die kind when, of thing. When Toni Morrison passed, I was like, I really should read Beloved. So I bought a copy of that. Um, okay. You should read it. But let me tell you, I'm going to, I'm going to make your life better. We did Beloved on the show uh-huh. in May and I can take basically zero credit for this episode, but it is one of my favorite episodes of the podcast because my guest Damaris Hill breaks the book down for you. You're going to, it's going to change Read the book and then listen to the podcast. You're going to feel like you've had a religious experience. Like wow. she just blows the book up. Like it's amazing what she does. And I was sitting there. She's a professor. And I was sitting there being like, can I come just audit all of your classes? Like how have you done this? So if you need something to like help you, motivate you to actually sit down and do it, just know that there's an episode of The Stacks waiting for you that is pretty incredible. Okay. And yeah. not because of me. <laughs> it seems like it, it's going to require a deep dive. The book yeah. is, and I might even do some preliminary reading and homework just to get some context for yeah. some of the stuff I could be looking for while I read. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But it was okay. good. I, I didn't like the book that much. And mm-hmm. then I did, did the episode. And then I now I love the book. Okay. Because I was like, oh, I get it now. I didn't get it. Yeah. I, I do often have a hard time with books where I feel like the – I think that I prefer when the author considers it their job to like make it – to make the reader's job easy. Right. And I don't know if that's what's going on in Beloved or not. I have the no, idea. I don't know that, I don't know that that would, I don't think that from what I've read of Toni Morrison, that that would be her philosophy, right? I don't yeah. know that that's her approach, but it makes a book like Beloved. Damaris said she read the book like five or six times. Mm-hmm. So it makes going back and rereading it still a rich experience. Yeah. You know, because sometimes if the book is too easy for the reader, it's like, I don't need to read that again. I got it. 
Yeah. So I feel like there's, I don't know. I, I will reread Beloved simply because I want to reread it after having had that conversation. Okay. But yeah. yeah. Check it out. Check out the episode, everyone, if you've read Beloved. It's freaking amazing. Um, let's see. Just we'll do a few more. Do you have any favorite books about where you grew up? So I guess for you, it could be Boston or Richmond. Huh. There aren't a lot of books set in Richmond, which is one of the reasons I like setting my books there. Um, like even Cowgirls Get the Blues kind of starts there. Okay. Um, books set where I'm growing. Honestly, no. 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 <laughs> what about favorite books um, assigned to you in school? Hmm. I think the, the one that left the biggest impression on me was reading the autobiography of an ex-colored man mm. by James Weldon Johnson in a Harlem Renaissance literature class. Uh, like, oh, okay, this is a way that like a mixed race black story could be told. I did, you know, a passing narrative. It was the first time I had any idea of that concept. And right. yeah, and th- that definitely got me started on a path that started kind of opening up some permission for me to tell stories that um, t- tell my stories, right. you know, instead of being like, well, Ernest Hemingway is writing about like some writers who are jealous of each other. (laughs) (laughs) Less interesting for you. What about what would you assign if you were teaching in high school? I was teaching in high school. You know, I just finished Dealing in Dreams by Lillian Rivera. Mm. Um, And it's cool. It's it's about kind of warriors-esque girl gangs in a futuristic city. Um, And about uh, like the patriarchy was overthrown and it's been – replaced with something that's maybe just as maybe just as dangerous. Um, so I think it, it, it raises a lot of questions about power um, and about, you know, thinking critically about everything that you're, that you're told. And I think those are valuable things to consider um, when you're a teenager, when you're in school. Um, if I was a high school teacher, it might be kind of hard to be like, so don't listen to the people who are in charge, but sit down and shut up and listen to me. Um, <laughs> don't you feel like that's a lot of books that you're taught in high school, though, when you think about it? It's a lot about, like, fuck authority, even though it's, like, school. Yeah, I remember we read One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest in 10th right. grade. And my teacher's like, you kind of remind me of McMurphy. Then he got a lobotomy at the end. I was like, hey, wait a minute. You're like, what are you trying to say about me? Yeah, yeah I feel like a lot of books, I just just you saying that, I'm like, well... I don't know, Brave New World and those like kind of like dystopian books or utopian dystopia, you know? Yeah. Anyways. Okay. Speaking of utopia and dystopia, here's the last one. If you could require the current president of the United States to read one book <laughs> and we'll, we'll assume that he will understand it and we'll read it. Okay. Okay. What yeah. would you so, pick? So you preempted a few of my jokes yes. here. A lot of people have the same, the follow up, like, will he get it? Does he get cliff notes? Like we'll assume that he gets it. Right. Right. Uh, three simple steps to go fuck off and die. That book. <laughs> Is that a book? I'm about to write it. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I was like, wait, no one's ever said that, but that's a great <laughs> book title. Great. Perfect. Yeah. Amazing. I, yeah. I don't, I don't have a simple solution for what ails that person. So, no. You know, yeah, that's all. That's the simple A lot solution. of books. Um, yeah. Okay, so next week, Chris is back. We're talking about We Cast a Shadow by Maurice Carlos Ruffin. Um, we will spoil the book. We're going to talk about it in detail. So if you haven't read it yet, you still have a week to get to it. Uh, Chris, thank you for being... Oh, wait. Go get Chris's book, Black Card. It's out in the world. It's been in the world since September? August. Uh, August 13th. August 13th. So it's been out in the world for a little bit. If you haven't gotten it yet, get your hands on a copy wherever you get your books. Go to your library. Do what you need to do. Chris, thank you for being here. Tracy, thanks for having me on. And we will see you guys in the stacks. 
Thank you so much for listening to today's episode and a huge thank you to Chris L. Terry for being my guest today. Chris will be back next week for the Stacks Book Club conversation of We Cast a Shadow by Maurice Carlos Ruffin. Find everything we discussed on today's episode in the show notes. Remember, you can get your book recommendation read on air by sending it to askingthestacks at gmail.com. For more from The Stacks, follow us over on social media at The Stacks Pod on Instagram and at The Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter. And check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. To join The Stacks Pack and get inside access to this show, go to patreon.com slash the stacks. Make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite, and our theme music is from Tagiragis. This show was created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas, and I will see you in the stacks.